because of God's goodness uh, to this place, to this community, uh, and to each of us. And there's, there's a passage that's been on my mind as we've been coming into this Sunday. It's 1 Corinthians 3, and it's Paul talking to a fairly young church who's trying to learn what it means to be together and follow the Lord together. And he gives them this instruction. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. So this church uh, has been built on the sacrifice and the faithfulness of many, many people over the years. But any growth that has happened in this place is because of the grace of God and the goodness of God and the presence of God. And it's not just 25 years, by the way. Uh, This community goes back uh, even farther, even longer than 25 years. I'm going to read a a note from Linda Brockaway, who is part of the pastoral team at the very, very beginning uh, with her and her husband, Gail, and the Hendersons. And here's here's what she texted us. Uh, Quote, Living Word first started on a Sunday afternoon on March 17th, 1977. So if you're doing the math, that's actually 45 years that we're celebrating uh, this morning. And it started in the uh, Christian school, and after a short period of time, they moved into a house. They created a large room as a meeting place, and that's now the dental office up north of the post office. Uh, As the church grew, we purchased 10 acres, which is where we, we currently are sitting on the property that they purchased. And both the Hendersons and us sold our homes in Northgate Terrace and donated some of the proceeds to purchase the land along with other members of the congregation, which is beautiful. That sounds a little bit like Acts. Uh, During the building process, we met in the IOF hall. And when we finally got in the building, we had a great celebration. The bathrooms didn't even have dividers in them, so it was a -a one-at-a-time user situation. (laughs) One cool story is that we needed a baptismal and a couple in the church sold their grand piano to purchase it. Uh, I'll never forget that. Uh, Steve and Lori, who I, my in-laws, uh, well, I think they'll be here next service. They were kind of a part of that original crew, and, and Linda Preter, I don't know if you're here this morning, the Jensen's, there's, there's a number of people that have been, from the beginning, have been, been a part of the story here, uh, which is powerful. I want to show you a couple pictures uh, of the early days uh, of Living Word. There's I love this picture. This is the youth center. Uh, Before it was fully built, they were meeting, and they used to have this view of the mountain back there that's been closed up recently, but uh, preaching with the the roof off, or preaching the roof off, maybe. I don't know. Uh, A couple more pictures. You can see some sweet pews that used to be in there, if you even know what a pew is. Uh, Just gorgeous. I love it. It's inspiring. When I, as we've been kind of getting ready for this and, and having conversations and listening to the stories of the community, it's so inspiring to learn from the faith of those who've gone before us. And uh, I want to share one more thing before I invite Dave and Wendy uh, to come up. And this is a, a prophetic word that was given on September 19th, 1979. We got this from Katie's grandma, who was a part of the story as well. Uh, it's rather long. I'm going to read a section of it. <laughs> But here's what the the word said. I shall cause the sweet song of my spirit to arise in this place. As you sing out unto God, the worship of God will well up within thee, and it shall overflow, and it shall go out unto others, and music shall be a, a witness to others. I shall cause the teaching of my word to see them established in this place, that they may grow in God. There shall be a place of training 
that they may be developed and nurtured and brought into the place of ministry that I've called them. Stand therefore fast, O people of the Lord. Let the vision be enlarged and know that I, the Lord God, do work on your behalf. So these are words from 1979, and if you think about what has happened in this place over the last 45 years, it's powerful to see God's goodness uh, to fulfill his, his promises. Uh, there's a couple other people, and then uh, Dave and Wendy will come up. They wanted to extend uh, their gratitude and kind of be a part of the service, but they're scattered all over the place, and so we captured a video. Uh, so check this out.
Well, thank you so much for allowing a couple of old farts to come back, <laughs> hang out with you for a little bit. So um, we're really grateful to be here and to just be able to say hi. Um, so I, whenever I travel and speak, which is what we do these days, it seems like, um, I just give her the mic and go sit down because <laughs> it's always the best part of the time, whatever happens. So like, I'm going to let her speak and then I'll come up and uh, clean up the theology. He has a good point there. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. <laughs> Thank you to the worship team who didn't know, but one of my most favorite songs that I sing right now is All My Life You Have Been Faithful. And as a great-haired woman, <clears throat> I can say all my life because it's been quite a life. I just had a birthday, and it's a pretty big one, so... God's faithfulness. If you're struggling today, if he's real, if he cares, if he listens, if you're struggling today that your prayers are not answered the way you want them to be, you need to sing that song. You need to put it on your playlist. You need to have it on your in your car, in your house, in your kitchen, everywhere, because he is very faithful. We are here today to celebrate. We came in, gosh, 1990. We had a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a nine-year-old. 
and we didn't know what we were getting into. And Dave said, you know, after being here a couple of weeks, he realized he woke up one day and he said, do you have a vision? I said, I have a vision. Do you have a vision? I have a vision. We both shared our vision. And the vision was that Living Word was a hospital. And for those old timers who were back there with us, you know that that's how we treated the church. Everyone is welcome at the hospital. No one is ever turned away. And that's how we saw Living Word. And that's how we pastored Living Word as a hospital where there were healthy people that were still trying to figure it out themselves. We were nurses, we were doctors, we were interns, we were helpers, we were custodians, we were everything. Just so the people that were hurting in our community would have a safe place to come and hear the word of Jesus. We also began to realize how important it is to have a mission statement. And as that came together, we also had a, a phrase that we um, adopted one of the gals on our council said, you know, we need to always be looking up as we're reaching out. And that became the mantra for Living Word. And for those who were around in that era, that is certainly what uh, Dave, Dave did. I was busy at the high school. I'd like to talk about those days, but I can't because I will absolutely sob. And um, I love high schoolers and I love my time there. And so I'm going to keep talking about Living Word because I'm cry more about the high school than I did Living Word. I remember launching Alpha. Alpha was a time where we would come together once a week and we would have meals. And it was so foreign to people because it was not quite a potluck. We would provide all the food and these broken, broken people would come in and we would talk about how much Jesus loved them. And, and I remember Dave saying, we're going to sit in a circle and we're going to put one person in the center. And we would listen to their stories, their stories of their, how they were parented, their stories of how they were failures, their stories of how they were trying their best but never seemed to be good enough for either their boss or their spouse or their children. And so we would put them in the what we called the hot seat and we would begin to say, positive statements to them like you're good enough God loves you you can do this we stand with you we're not just feeding you today food we're feeding you encouragement from the word his promises are real he is faithful he will never leave you he will not forsake you these people would break break enough that their broken hearts were filled up with God's love. Those were people that began to be faithful attenders and began to be a part of living word. And that's when we saw a huge growth as people were broken and filled with God's love. The most important thing to us were those three babies we brought to the island. A lot of pastors' kids don't end well. And they don't because they see their parents love the church more than love them. And as we watched that, we were like, mm -mm, that's not going to happen to these babies. Our goal was always to show them that if they chose Jesus, their life would be complete. It could be complete in him and him alone. And we've seen God do wondrous things with all the children that have come through here and served Jesus, but choose Jesus before they served him. 
and that has been one of the most wonderful things. So this week, Dave asked our children, what's your favorite living word story? And they're pretty funny. And a couple of them we cannot repeat. <laughs> but, but one of them I'm going to tell you. So when I get nervous or anxious or just at home, I like to just clean. And one of the best things that was ever invented are those cleaning Clorox wipes. So prior to cleaning Clorox wipes, I had this powerful solution and just would be cleaning. And it was right before school. And of course, like any good mama, I am getting the best school supplies and the best shoes and the best outfits. And you know, those are things I really highly value. And so I had kind of gone over the budget and Dave was having a little talk with me. So I'm cleaning <laughs> our answer machine in our kitchen area as he's sitting on a stool at the, at the little island there as I'm cleaning and I didn't realize I had pushed our answering machine. Now, for those who are young and don't know what an answering machine is, people would call your house and they would say, the messenger would say, hi, this is the beach home. Please leave a message. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. Beep. And then you would leave a message, kind of like a phone, but no texting involved. And so I'm cleaning as Dave's like, you cannot spend that kind of money. And I said, well, the kids really need that money. And so we weren't arguing. But our voices were a little intense. And, you know, I can be a little intense with having it go my way. Any other girls like that? Come on, show me your hands, girls, because I, yeah. See, so see how normal I am? And so, I, I, and I'd gone over the budget, and I'd said, it's only $325. And he's like, we don't have $325 to be spending on the kids. I said, they need their yearbook, and they need their ASB, and they needed shoes, and they need, they need snacks. And I went down the list, and he would argue back, and I would argue, and we went back and forth. So we're gone for the day, because when you live on the island, what do you do? You plan the entire day to be off the island. So off we go. And we come back at night, it's about seven o'clock at night, the kids are getting ready for everything, you know, bath, this, that. And Dave goes, we better check the answer machine. <laughs> the first one was, um, <laughs> click. The second one was, uh, Dave, I totally get it, click. <laughs> I think it was Linda Preter. Uh, I'm on Wendy's side. Click. Uh, I think you guys, it's Skip LeMay. I think you guys should change your answering machine message. Click. I think his wife called and said, that was hilarious. Click. His, someone else called and said, 325, that's nothing for the month. Dave looked at me and goes, that was for the week. It was hilarious. And what that showed me was that we could be ourselves in front of our church. We were, what Dave was in front, what I was in front was not fake. We always encouraged one another to never be fake. It was real, it was real life. And that story, we, we were, I think a little embarrassed. I think he was more embarrassed than I was. I was like, mm, it's a reality. <laughs> and that's what you have to be. If I could give you any encouragement all my life, he has been faithful, and we've been real. Please be real. Be real with your children. Be real with your family. Be real with yourselves. Thank you for having us. It is so good to be here.
Drew and Katie, blessings upon you and your family. Blessings, many, many blessings. Thank you all. If you could open your Bibles to Galatians 5, we're going to jump through something really quick here. Twenty-five years of celebrating, uh, we're celebrating 25 years of being a Foursquare church, which is kind of interesting in itself because they just fired me, um, just <laughs> literally. Uh, but I came here because Eastside fired me. So there's kind of a theme here, you know, when you get fired, good things happen. Um, but really, uh, what what's going on in this passage in Galatians chapter 5, which I'd like to um, spend some time on. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's a whole story. I don't want to. Somebody took all the time. I don't have time to tell it. Galatians 5. We actually joined Foursquare for this reason. Because we felt like it would probably be better for the long run of this organization, this church, to be part of something bigger than itself um, so that we could make more of Jesus. That was really the bottom line of it. And after having served 200 Foursquare churches for the last 13 years, uh, I can tell you that transitions are hard. Would you guys agree with that? People always like the way they things are until they change, and then they go like, wait a minute, that's not what I signed up for. And then I'll talk about how uh, people treat others on the way out the door. But Galatians chapter 5 says it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Freedom is what we came here for, for people to be free in Jesus. The island is the sound of what? Freedom. And freedom's not what? It's not free. We all know these things, right? And so Jesus is what set us free. He's who set us free. And that's the, really the point of this. This isn't about Foursquare. It's not about David Windy. It's not about Russ and Anna. It's not about Drew and Katie. Amazing people that they all are. That's not the point. Somebody else died on the cross. I would tell pastors all the time, why are you killing yourself for the church? Didn't somebody else already die for it? They'd look at me like, well, of course. Uh. Yeah, you're killing yourself. That's not the point. The point is to love people, which is the second thing that I want to talk about to you in verse 6. If you just skip down a few verses, it says, it's for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. We loved the island. She loved her high school. We loved raising our kids here. Now, the first four or five years, I would have gone anywhere else, literally. It was, I, I hated it. I hated, I would literally turn on I-5 on, on, onto 20 and get knots in my stomach. And it was because of personal conflict. And it was because of change. And it was because of people not liking me and people not liking her. And people like going, what in the world? You guys wrecked my church. And we're like, I haven't done anything yet. Um, I have great ideas coming. And they're like, you've destroyed it. I'm like, okay, sorry. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that matters is how you love each other. The only thing that matters is how you love your neighbor. Yeah, the one with the barking dog. 
we loved our military families, partly because I'm ADD, and a couple years, we're good. More than that, they'd be like, we're tired of you. So pastoring in a regular town would have been really horrible for me. So, like, I can do new relationships really well. Long 34, oh, man, that's hard. We love people through our expressions of love. And you guys are loving people, too, and that's what I see and that's what I hear from Drew. That's what I heard from Russ. I remember, I remember where I was when I got the call that Russ was going to be the new pastor here. I was st- sitting in line of the ferry. I mean, you know, when you're on the north end, you never ferry, right? It's tourist ferry. If you want to get somewhere, you drive around, right? Just like friends don't ask friends to take people from, to the airport when you're on the island. Like, no, you don't even ask that. That's like a whole day. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Now, if you live in Tacoma, that's fine. That's where we live now. But that's 30 minutes, except for you when you come through Fife. Um, but understand that loving people, I remember, I remember sitting in that line, that ferry line, getting the call that Russ was going to come pastor the church, and I just started crying because I knew that living word was going to be in great hands. I remember laying in bed for two weeks at night when Eastside Foursquare had an open church. The pastor was tra- transitioned and uh, it was my responsibility as a district supervisor to find a new, church, new pastor. And I remember arguing with God literally for two weeks, not sleeping for two weeks, because I kept hearing the Lord tell me to call Russ. And I kept saying, no, he's pastoring my church. No, I'm not messing with that, Lord. He's pastoring my church. I'm not messing with that. No way. Finally, I said yes to the Lord, as we often do later in the game. And I remember Russ saying, what about Drew? What about Drew and Katie? I remember going like, yes, Lord. I remember sitting with some of you council members going like, what is this punk kid going to bring? <laughs> I'm like, he's got a master's degree in theology. I, can, I have an elementary ed school teaching degree. Are you kidding me? Like, I think he could bring the Bible to you. <laughs> I said, I honestly think by the time it's all said and done, between the three of us, he's going to be the golden child. I honestly think he's going to be the one you love the most. Don't, don't tell Anna that. I want to conclude with this. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, and drunkenness, and the like. I, I, would, um, I would like to argue with Paul. The acts of the flesh are obvious. The first four I didn't read or talk about, they're sexual sins. The church is really good at pointing those out. But what they're not good about is this next group. Idolatry, witchcraft, okay, that's sex, uh, spiritual weirdness. We know those. <laughs> Hatred. Come on, church. Yeah. Discord. Yeah. Come on, church. Right. Jealousy. Yeah. Come on, church. Mm-hmm. Fits of rage. Come on, church. Dissensions. Factions. Those things are not biblical. And we're living in a culture right now that makes those things king. But I'll tell you who's king is Jesus. And I'll tell you what he wants you to do is love everyone, including your pastors. Especially your pastors. Not about whether or not they mask or don't mask or blue lives, black lives, yellow lives. I don't know. I just know that everybody wants to divide over stuff. And I know it's not God. 
So stand behind these guys. Because what has been built upon is the love of Jesus. And they're going to preach you Jesus. They're not going to get stuck in these wacky little ditches. So, I'm over my time. Russell, I want you to introduce you to my pastor. I'm actually helping at Eastside. And um, it's so good to be around him and Anna. And I want you, him to bring you the word. So finish it up. So, good morning. Good to see all of you. Some of you may not know me. I pastor a church in Bothell, Washington called Eastside. But I had the pleasure of pastoring here, pastoring here at Living Word with my wife, Anna Maria, for seven years. We came with three kids. We added three more while we were here. And uh, we have six now, and they'll all be here at the 11 o'clock service. They slept in this morning because they were up late last night at a revival meeting till uh, 11.30 at our church. And uh, it was a three-day meeting uh, that we have never done before, and uh, so we are exhausted, um, but full of the Holy Spirit at the same time. So I have my orders. I'm going to share the word with you for a few minutes. And um, I just want to encourage you to leave your hearts open, if you would, just for a few minutes. And is, there, is the keyboardist in the room uh, is the, who was playing earlier? Could they just come up here and get on the keys? That way the people know it's going to be short when the keyboardist comes up and gets on the keys. That'd be good. That'd be a good indicator. Psalm 81, my people would listen to me, only listen to me, if Israel would only follow my ways. How quickly I would subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe before him and their punishment would last forever. But you'd be fed with the finest of wheat. With honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. Now, this is referencing back to Moses and the children of Israel when they're tested at the waters of Meribah. And there's a scene there where... Uh, Moses strikes the rock. Remember that? Just remember that? And uh, they're complaining, and they're arguing with God. They actually, the, the reference there in, in Hebrew is a, is a lit, liturgical, no, uh, um, well, they want to sue God. Let's put it that way. They want to go back on, on uh, their relationship with the Lord. They want to go back to Egypt. Moses strikes the rock, and water comes out of the rock. Right, so this is a this is a moment of God's mercy, and God tested him there at the waters of Meribah. But this doesn't say water, does it? It says honey. There's no honey in that scene, is there? How many of you heard the worship song recently, "Honey from the Rock"? You guys heard that worship song? One of the weirdest worship songs I've ever heard. We sang it at convention this year, Foursquare Convention. They sing "Honey from a Rock," "Honey from." I'm like, what are they singing? Like that is the weirdest song I've ever heard in my life. There's no honey from the rock. Like, I know this Bible song, uh, verse. Uh, there's no honey in the rock. They beat the, Moses beats the rock twice, and no honey comes out of it. It's just water. And yet here's this verse in Psalm 81. But you'll be fed with the finest of wheat. With honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. So let's just go quickly through a couple things we already know, but I'm going to refresh your memory. Life is a wilderness. Okay. They find this rock in the wilderness. Though life is a wilderness, there's a rock in the wilderness. So 
you're going to have these experiences in life where you're, you're going to enter into a wilderness season. And some of you may be in it right now where you're in a wilderness season. Okay? This doesn't mean God has left you when you're in the wilderness. It might mean quite the opposite when you're in the wilderness. Twice in the wilderness, God rescued the people of Israel with water from a rock. In fact, Deuteronomy 32 says God is our rock. Right? So God is the rock. Even though life is a wilderness, there's a rock in the wilderness. It's in the wilderness, oftentimes, in Scripture, where we meet God. Where did Moses see the burning bush? Where was that? You can say it out loud. In the wilderness. Elijah, the earthquake, the fire, the still small voice, where was that? In the wilderness. Jesus says in the book of Mark that it was in the wilderness was where Jesus went to pray. John the Baptist called people to the wilderness to repent. Why? Why would, why would God lead us into the wilderness? Why would God allow us into these wilderness seasons? Why would he allow that? Well, what I find in my own life, and maybe you find this in yours, is that we never really meet God until everything else in our life is stripped away. Until there's this desperation. If you were, if you were in the wilderness or in a desert and you saw a rock, you would go to it, right? You would go to it, right? How many of you watch this, the show Alone or shows like Survivor shows, right? Probably big in Woodby Island, right? Like, I always wanted to be a military guy, right? Because you got to survive. And it's, they're going to train me how to survive. And I always fantasize about being a seal. I'll be a seal. I'm a seal in my mind. I read books about seals. You would go to a rock to live because you know there would be, it's a place where water would gather, a place where shelter would be. It would be cool in the daytime and warm at night. The rock would be a place of survival. When it gets bad, there's a, a voice that would cry out to you, say, make me your water, make me your light, make me your source when all other sources go away. So if you're in a wilderness season right now, if, if, whether you got there yourself by your own doing, which I've done plenty of times, I've led myself into the wilderness, or whether circumstances have just brought you there beyond your control, and you're in the wilderness, don't miss it. Find the rock. Some of you are being called to go deeper in your relationship with the Lord. I'm sorry, my mouth gets really dry. Some of you are being called to go deeper in your relationship with the Lord, and you've been avoiding it. And God has a way of, of bringing you back to this place where he will call you over and over and over again to this rock, stripping everything away where all you have is this rock left and you have no choice but to go to it because he wants you to go deeper in this relationship with him. The, the river of God flows, right? It says in Revelation 22 that the river of God flows, this kingdom, the kingdom of God, the river that flows through the kingdom of God. Where, rivers flow where? They don't, do they flow, flow from, like, to the, the high point? No, they flow to the low point, right? The lowest point, that's where the river goes. That's where the water goes, the low point. 
Maybe you're in the room and God's calling you to get low. Get low. Get, get done with yourself. Get down low. Maybe you're too up here. Too much of you. Too much of your ideas. Too much of what you think about things. Too much of your pride. Too much of your attitude. And God's calling you to get low. You want the river? You want to get down on the river of living water? Get low. Get down where the water is. And then there's honey in the rock. Rainwater collects there. It's cooler in the day, warmer in the night. But honey, the word of God says, I will bring you out of the bad times, not just sustenance, but a sweetness, beauty, and joy, it says in the word. Sweetness, beauty, and joy. We read scriptures like all things work together for good to those that love God. All things work together for good. Does every individual thing have a good result? No. Does that mean we minimize the tragedies of life? No. Does this mean that every bad thing has a blessing in disguise, a silver lining in the cloud? No. What it means is everything works together for God's purposes, his good. And can we just admit this together that his ways are not our ways? His ways are higher than our ways? Right now there's a, there's a, well, let me just set the table for this. So for the past 20 years, 15, 20 years or so, there's been a revival in northern Mozambique where tribe after tribe after tribe after tribe has come to Jesus with little to no resistance to the gospel, just thousands upon thousands of Mozambiques coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Thousands and thousands. And now El Shabaab, or as we would call it here in the United States, ISIS, is waging a war in northern Mozambique. And they're coming into these villages and these tribes and these towns and they're burning them to the ground and killing these pastors, crucifying them to their own doors, taking their four-year-old children's heads and cutting them off right in front of them. God hates this. God hates this. But you know what these pastors say? Here's what these pastors say. They'll never cut our faith out of us. That's what these pastors say. They'll never cut the gospel out of us. They'll never burn Jesus out of us. That's what these pastors are saying in Mozambique. God is still up to something in northern Mozambique. In fact, I was just with a lady last night who ministers there and has ministered there for decades. She says that right now, there's less resistance to the gospel than there was before the war. They still go up there now into northern Mozambique and minister, and now it's just wide open to the gospel. Everybody they talk to, in fact, uh, young men from ISIS, who she calls just young, broken men, by the way. Just young, broken men that she's forgiven by some miracle. I don't know how she has, but she has. They're coming to faith in Jesus Christ. 
Here's what I think is happening here, this honey in the rock. You're going through something. If you're in the middle of a wilderness and you're at that rock, you're surrounded by desert and wilderness and it's dry and you're desperate and you're crying out. Here's where I think the honey's being created. I think the beauty's being created in you. I think you are being changed into something beautiful and sweet. As the Holy Spirit does his work in you, as you get low down to where the river is, down into that fresh water, God makes you into something sweet. Some people get worse in the wilderness. It says in verse 13, if my people would do these things, if my people. In verse 7 of this same chapter, he said, I tested you at the waters of Mirabah. If my people would do these things. Some people don't do these things. Some people get in the wilderness and they refuse to do them. They get harder, they get bitter, they get angry. We've seen a lot of that in Christians for the last three years. Justification for their own bitterness and anger, taking it out on other Christians. If my people would do these things, are you a person who, in the midst of the desert, you go to the rock and you praise God with the people of God? Even if they don't get it 100% correct on the theology test like you do, you still praise God with those people of God. What if they got a 95% on your theology test? Would you praise God with those people of God? Will you listen for his voice? Will you meditate, reflect? Will you read? Will you meditate till you hear him speak to you? When do sermons matter most? When does the Bible matter the most? When does the Bible verse matter the most? When you need it the most, that's when. It also mentions foreign gods earlier on. Foreign gods. God has a way of stripping away all those foreign gods. Some of those things you've made your rock, things you rely on. What's the thing you think to yourself, if I lose that, I'll lose everything. I can't live without that thing. That's the thing he's after in the middle of that desert. All right. So there's a wilderness, there's a rock. God's making me into honey. There's a test. Here's my problem. And here's we're going to close. I failed the test. I'm not doing great. So there's no hope for me. Well, welcome to the party. Just turn to your neighbor right now and say, me too. Me too. I'm failing. I'm not doing great. I'm going to the rock and my honey ain't so sweet. Right? Because it isn't. Because you're a person. In fact, look at your track record over the last three years. How's your behavior been? Not too good. Not too good. We're not so shiny and bright right now. After three years of COVID and politics and BLM and all that stuff. 
not too good. Christians ain't looking too good. Here's the thing. Jesus went to the wilderness. Jesus went to the wilderness, didn't he? Jesus is the rock. 40 days in the wilderness. He passed the test in 40 days what you couldn't do in 40 years. You go to the rock for 40 years, you couldn't get it done. He did it in 40 days. Jesus passed. You could still be a failure right now. But here's the thing. Jesus isn't your example. He's your substitute. He's not an example for you to live by. Oh, if I could only be like him. He took your place. He took my place. He took our place. In Exodus 17 at Meribah, the people said, give us water to drink. Give us water to drink. So they quarreled with God. They wanted out of their relationship. So what did God say? God said, take the rod, take the rod, Moses, and go stand near the rock at Horeb. So it's the rod of God, not a rod you want to be around. Okay? The rod of God. The rod represents the wrath of God. Not a rod. Take the rod. Moses is probably like, yes. And go to the rock. Oh, man. I thought you were going to tell me to whack him a bit. Go to the rock. The rod represents the wrath of God, the judgment of God. And what did he tell Moses to do? To strike the people? No, he said, strike the rock. And who's our rock? Who's our rock? Who's our rock? Jesus is our rock. And so he struck the rock. And what did he do on the cross? That's right. God took all that wrath, all that judgment, and he struck his own son. And as Christ then died and rose again and ascended into heaven and looked down and said, I made it. And the Holy Spirit came down, our substitute. You and I now have the opportunity to get low, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and walk, getting sweeter and sweeter by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not our own strength, not our own ability, not our own power, not our own knowledge, not what we read in the New York Times or the Washington Post or some blog on Facebook. The power of the Holy Spirit. Some of us are so jacked up and look like we've been baptized in lemon juice because we're not walking in the Holy Spirit. We're walking in what we read on Facebook and forwarded to somebody else. Are you walking in the Holy Spirit? All right. If you want to be sweeter... If you want honey from the rock, just stand up. Let's stand up. We're going to pray right now. Let's pray. That's all of us, right? It's all of us. Father, we come before you right now in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and every person in this room. Some of us are in a desert. Some of us are clinging to this rock right now, Lord God. And some of us look back at our 
track record, our behavior, and we just see it. We, we have not been walking in you. We've been walking in our flesh. Been walking in our own head knowledge. Walking in unforgiveness. Walking in that list that Pastor Dave read. So right now, before you, Father, we, we repent. We ask for forgiveness. We repent. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our sins. Lord, right now we turn to others that we have held unforgiveness against. We've, we've justified our unforgiveness. Those we, we disagree with theologically or even politically. We forgive. We have no right to hold that unforgiveness. Because we've been forgiven. And Lord, we get low. We humble ourselves. We want to be in the river of living water that flows from your throne. Fill us, Lord God, right now with living water from that throne, you, Jesus, the rock. Fill us with your living water right now. Baptize us again. Renew us. Refresh us in your Holy Spirit so that we would be a sweeter people, a more joyful people, a people of loving kindness, of mercy, of grace, of compassion, of wisdom. And Jesus, finally, thank you for being our substitute. Thank you that we don't do this in our own strength, but by you and you alone the power of your Holy Spirit. We say thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.